Sometimes we need to just be reminded of that, don't we? That's what it's really all about. Because, you know, some days are harder than others. Some days it seems futile. And a lot of days I catch myself realizing that I have focused on everything and anything but the main thing. Serving God oftentimes brings interesting, hard, confrontational days. In chapter 4, Jesus, Matt put it very well this morning that his heart, my heart, the choir, everyone up here, our, our hearts sing and preach, but the main thing is the main thing, and that is that Jesus be glorified and magnified in everything, and uh, the worship through the lifting up of his word, drawing and pointing uh, our way to him and him alone. Well, chapter 4, Jesus got up and he preached and he taught, uh, he taught on the, the sower and he taught about the mustard seed and he taught about the light and the candle and we've seen uh, his, his in-depth teaching. That's probably one of my greatest stories is that story of the sower and the different grounds. I've preached it many, many times. But then at the end of the chapter, they end up in a storm. They get in a boat. Right smack dab out of worship. They've sat, think about this. Y'all have no idea because y'all have to sit under me. They were sitting literally at the feet of Jesus. But you know, every time you crack open the word of God, you're sitting at his feet. And so they had, they had heard, or to put it in our context, they had spent time studying in their quiet time, praying and reading God's word, and God had been teaching them and showing them. But then they had to go out, and as they went out, they got into a boat, and when they got into a boat, they ended up in a storm. And in the midst of the storm, they saw God's miraculous work, did they not? But now, they didn't stay there, and they didn't stay out on the boat, on the lake, looking around at all of God's glory. They had to go and get out and go to work. This morning, as we continue in chapter 5 on this, this series, The Servant of God, we look at the fact that serving is not for wimps. Serving is not for wimps. This glad hand, hug your neck, everything's going to be all right. Go to church whenever you want to, read how, whenever you want to. Just, you know, little snippets. Uh, too many believers are living devotional lives and not in-depth lives. It's, it's not for the weak-hearted. It's not for the... Uh, weak spine believers. You know when President H.W. Bush first ran for president, they put on the front of Newsweek magazine the wimp factor. And they called him a wimp. And to bring it into our day, the media tried their best to try to downplay him. And U.S. News and World Report, I believe, came out with their edition about a week later, it said, what went factor? And it had a picture of him as a 17-year-old, would you say a boy or a man? When we think of a 17-year-old, Tabitha, me and you've been talking about the draft and all that kind of stuff. 17 years old, he lied to sign up during the end of World, toward the end of World War II. And George H.W. Bush, the one that they had just called a wimp, was the youngest naval aviator shot down during World War II and survived. Who later became uh, an old man, he later became the director of the CIA, was the vice president for Ronald Reagan, and then was running for president. And yet, some wanted to classify him as a win. Listen, being strong in body and even strong in mind does not make one strong in the Lord. 
If that was the case, Solomon would not have such a terrible, sad epitaph written at the end of his life. And yet it says that he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So are we serving valiantly, loving our Jesus, even with the scars of this life? Or have we simply degraded our witness in the world because of all the things going on around us? And let me just go to the scripture so that we don't get ahead. It said in verse 1, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark, and they came over unto the other side. They came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. He was like a wild Samson, completely and utterly possessed by Satan, Himself. There is no Halloween Hollywood movie that could do this man justice and the evil that he lived in. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus, but when he saw Jesus, afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Listen today, as we begin to examine the gospel of Mark chapter 5, we've got to make a decision. As we look into this story, there is basically four groups of people. There is Jesus the son of the living God. There is his apostles who are going with him. Then there is this man possessed of the devil. And may I say, when he says, Jesus asked him, and I'll talk about it later, he said, what is your name? He said, legion, for we are many. The word legion it, uh, applies to an army. And, and Captain Brian Mize and I had lunch last week, and we were talking about that, and uh, he has been a battalion chaplain, but as they will be going to Afghanistan next year, he will have 3,000 soldiers underneath him, and it goes up. It goes from a unit to a platoon, uh, and it goes on up into a battalion, and it goes on up into an army, and, and goes on based on size. Well, a legion of soldiers were 6,000. Sybil had no hold or bragging rights with this guy. You want to talk about multiple personalities? This guy had demons by the thousands that had invading and, and possessed his life. Sounds like the world we live in. You know, I, I've always tried to be one who was, uh, I'm a cynic uh, at, at heart sometimes, and I, I hate when we over-spiritualize things, and I don't see a demon under every rock, but they're under a lot of them. Now, I want you to hear me today. One part of that song that Philip just sang, it really impacted my heart was in telling our family who Jesus is, going to the ones we love, sharing so that they will love my Jesus. I want you to understand with me. There's not a waking moment 
or sleeping moment in our lives that there are not demons in the domain of Satan in this world that's not roaming about seeking whom they may devour. And I want you to understand something. They want to devour your marriage. They want to devour your children. They are after your spouse. They're after your government. They're after your church. They are after everything good. Because listen, when God created it, God said it is very good. And through man's sin, the corruption of that which is good, Satan has slithered about for all the time since then, seeking how he may destroy that which is good. I don't know about you, but we have a good church. And when I say that in the context of what I'm talking about, God has blessed us. Are we perfect? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But we're overwhelmed with goodness and, and, and mercy and, and those who love the Lord who teach and things like that. But how often do we pray for those who lead us? And I'm not just talking about me. Listen, I've been blessed through pastor appreciation. But do you pray for your deacons who serve daily? Do you pray for your Sunday school teachers who study God's word? Do you pray for those who are working in the nursery? Call them by name. First of all, I want us to understand we're going to live in this world, an evil world, where literally in the New Testament, God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said it is the domain of Satan, the little g, God of this world is Satan. And listen, he's in all of our schools. He's in all of our our, our, our realms of influence. He's in our friendship groups and he's on our job and he's in all kinds of places that we may not even be able to imagine. And we need to understand that if we're going to impact our world, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict. Do I like the idea of conflict? It makes me sick at my stomach. But you know, if we would not have had courage over the last hundred and something years as the United States of America, we could be either speaking Russian or German today. You say, oh no. Listen, when Alexander the Great began to conquer the world, we have our New Testament based on the fact that he made everybody under his kingdom Speak Greek, the Koine Greek. Changed it all. He wanted one universal language for one universal people. And we've heard globalism and everything being pushed and how we ought to adjust and tolerate everything else. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be times where we have to face conflict in our lives, but we need to understand compassion and conflict. Notice with me again in verse 1. It said, they went to the other side. I mean, it's teaching, everything's great. If I can bring it to our time, they had a Sunday service. They dressed up, they went down, Jesus stood up. They didn't have to do anything but just sit and listen. But then they got up and they walked out. They talked about who played yesterday and they talked about what they got to do this week. But they had no idea what was coming when they got into that boat. And they sure had no idea. Can you imagine when the storm settled down, when God spoke through the mouth of his son and the winds and the waves obeyed, all they could breathe is relief. Right? But the moment that they relaxed for just a minute and step out, they were on the other side. When we walk out those doors, my friend, whether it's to go to lunch or to go to work or to go to school, we're on the other side. We can come to church and be encouraged and people say, how are you doing today, man? I've been praying for you today. Uh, I've been praying for, the, for you this week. How'd your test go? What'd you do this week? How's school? How's work? Glad you won. Hey, you'll get them next time. We're always encouraging one another here, but the world don't care. And how do we face 
conflict as the body of Christ. We do so knowing we're going to have to serve on the other side. God did not call us to just a life of comfort. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. That's what Jesus said. He said, many will be offended because of me. Am I right? He said, a prophet's accepted everywhere but in his own country. And he looked down and he said, where's everybody at? They said, they all left. He said, will you leave? Where am I to go? Out of all of his apostles, one had committed suicide and the rest had run and hid except for one as he hung on the cross. All of those who had cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, less than a week later were gone. And many had flipped the switch from Hosanna to crucify him. How do we experience and exude compassion in conflict? First of all, you cannot expect change in what you refuse to confront. Children often rebel so do we just turn it loose and ignore it and say oh they'll grow out it what if they don't have a chance to what if they make that one mistake that stops it can we expect the world to fix itself church i'm going to tell you now tuesday's election day and if you thought i wasn't going to deal with this today you're sadly mistaken the reason we're facing the issues that we're facing today in, in what was known as not just the Bible Belt, but the buckle. To where if things go a certain way, we will become the new California slash Chicago in Georgia. Make no mistake about it. It's not about race. It has nothing to do with race and everything to do with what's right and what's wrong. We have put those voter guides in your bulletin each week, and I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I'm gonna tell you something. If you're a born again, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian, you cannot vote for someone who will kill an unborn child. You cannot expect change in a world that is so marred up in sin without confrontation. Listen, we don't seek conflict, but we shouldn't run from it either. Right? Serving is not for wimps. It's not for wimps. We must stand and be counted. I'm glad that right now around the, around the world there are American soldiers who are not afraid to stand watch and confront anything that may arise. I am so thankful that there are first responders and even security people uh, attached to this church that at any given moment you're sitting here completely relaxed without any worry of anyone attacking us. And what you can say whatever you want, some of that is because we know we're protected. Let us be grateful. Because at any moment, they may have to pull their weapons and do what they don't want to do, but make no mistake about it, they're trained to do it. You cannot expect change in what you're not willing to confront. And we don't seek this conflict. We don't want it. Well, listen, we ought, he said, as much as is in you and is possible, live peaceable with all men. We don't have to agree on everything. But as believers, we ought to agree, and we must agree, on the major tenets of faith. 
in matters of essentials, unity. Listen, we cannot, we cannot disagree on the virgin birth and be united in the body of Christ. You cannot disagree on the infallibility of God's word. <coughs> because, listen, if there's one problem in that whole book, then the whole book is flawed. You cannot disagree with a sinless Savior and a vicarious death. And you sure can't disagree with a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. The church, this whole idea of tolerance, listen, let, let me tell you something. Tolerance is another word for indifference. We become indifferent to the world. I want you to stop and think for just a quick second. Who is it that you were around this past week that you know is lost? And they may be a member of a cult. They may say they don't believe in God. They may say we can't know if there is a God. They may just be someone who says, yeah, I was raised in church. But they're living in the very grasp of sin. And we don't want to upset anybody. We don't, you know, we, we don't want to rattle anything. We don't want to make them mad at us. I want to ask you something. Do you really love them then? No. I'm going to answer it. No. Because if you really, really care, then you won't worry about whether you make them mad at you. And I'm not talking about Bible thumping, being ugly, hateful. Listen, when we do it, Christian, Christians can't be, we're not Switzerland, Okay. And now that we have looked at history for 70 more years, we realize Switzerland wasn't really as neutral as they said they were. That they protected and they profited off the war. When we stand and confront evil, then we've got to do it by speaking truth. And you know, think about this. Just over a year ago, the reason why we are so adamant about church security is a little bitty country church in the middle of nowhere Texas had a boy walk in with weapons and begin to shoot worshipers and as it began a man who lived across the street who was trained by the NRA was a rifle instructor just in his training knew what was going on by the sound, grabbed his weapon, ran outside, no shoes on, and saw the offender and engaged him and stopped the bloodshed. I want to tell you something. A lot of it was because he was trained. You know, we started off with 60 or 70 in, in uh experiencing God and now we've managed to grow it to about 38 or 40. We, we have high attendance today but how many of us teachers included pastor included saw it as more than just another Sunday and another catchphrase? I don't have a clue how many we had and I don't want you to tell me either. I remember a Sunday when I first came here, we had 309 in Sunday school. So, well, it's not about numbers. God named a book after that. Numbers are important. Because, you see, every number that's in Sunday school is a person. A person who's sitting under the Word of God. And you don't know that that one person that you invite may be lost. You say, well, Pastor, what? I mean, you do this for a living. Do you know that 6% of people that a pastor invite will come? But it jumps up to around 40% or above if you invite them. And sometimes it's not just, hey man, we love you. We Sometimes it's confrontational. I don't want to hear no more about that church. You've invited me a hundred times. One of the greatest writers of our day, Norman Geisler, leading writer in apologetics and and systematic theology, and I had the privilege uh, uh, of sitting under him uh, 
one time and being taught by him for a whole week. And we went to lunch one day. And we just began to talk. And I, I, I didn't want to, you know, just give him the, the paparazzi treatment. I just wanted to hear him talk. And so I just sat back and kind of listened. And he began to open up. And at the time, he was in his 70s. Still living, still serving today. He said, let me give you my testimony. Man, I'd love to hear it. You know, I was waiting to hear his pedigree and his father was a pastor, his grandma. No. He was a bus kid. He was a bus kid. And over 390 times they came by and knocked on the door. Said, we'd love to come by. We have a bus that comes by. We'll pick you up and say, no, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part. Had no family that went to church. He's a young man. At the age of 17, he was illiterate. They had just kind of pushed him through school because of his rebellion uh, and his lifestyle, and they just wanted him out. He wouldn't quit, so they would just pass him to get him gone. He said, I could not even pick up a Bible and really read it. He said, and I, there was no big light in the sky. There was no writing in my dreams. But one day they came by, and he told me, he said, on the 400th time, he said, we, we, we want to come by and get you. He said, okay. Norman Geisler went out there, and the bus picked him up and took him to church. And he heard the gospel for the first time in his life. He gave his life to Christ, and the Lord saved him. And he began to study God's Word and teach himself how to read. And the more he taught, uh, uh, learned, the more he wanted. And he prayed and he sought God. And the age of 77, he had written 77 books. He was on sabbatical writing seven more. And his, if you've ever heard Robbie Zacharias, one of the deepest thinkers in God's Word today, Norman Geisler was his mentor. A man who could not even read and write at 17, God radically changed his life. Because somebody, somebody confronted him. Somebody went up to a drunk, sorry, loudmouth baseball player sitting on a curb in Chicago. He said, man, don't you want to trust Jesus? He said, no, I don't want all that stuff. I just want to die. Well, come on before you die and get, let me give you a cup of coffee. All right, I'll drink me a cup of coffee. And so he got up and he went down to the Chicago mission and they gave him some coffee and he got kind of sobered up and they gave him some more and gave him some food and something to drink, some, co some more coffee to drink. They began to talk to him, began to share the word. And this useless, drunk, professional baseball player gave his life to Jesus Christ. I have no earthly idea who it was that invited him. But that drunk baseball player was Billy Sunday. Became one of the greatest evangelists the United States ever known. Who set up tents all over the world or all over the United States. And the one who, the fire marshal came in and tried to shut him down and says there's too much danger of fire in this tent. And so they put down wet sawdust to appease the fire marshal and what today was known as the sawdust trail that led to the cross of Jesus Christ. From Mordecai Ham on down through the, the lineage to the one who led Billy Graham, somebody had to confront with compassion that which was sin. Listen, we've got to recognize sin for what it is. You see, truth sounds like hate to those that hate truth. Y'all bunch of bigot, fanatic Christians, you hate all the homosexuals, and y'all are xenophobic, and you're racist, and you're bigots. You're, I'm going to tell you something. It sounds like hate when you hate truth. But the truth is, we don't hate anybody if we're right with God. And if you're still using racial terms to describe somebody, you need to get right with God. I don't care who your mom and daddy was. I don't care how you was raised. I'm here to tell you the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
And until you can get past your racism, listen, I hate homosexuality, but I love homosexuals. I hate the fact people abort babies, but I love those mothers. The problem is we've not understood and confronted this world. The politics of the day. See, the world can't stop evil. Can't stop it. We've got to, go back a slide. Go back one. Look, we've got to speak the truth, but we've got to have the right motivation. He said speak, we like to say that, don't we? Well, I'll just speak the truth. You ever saw somebody that takes great pride in speaking the truth? And they're just harsh, hateful, bitter, and may I say just mean? They've got half a truth. They're quoting half a truth, so they're living a whole lie. He said, speak the truth in love. Matthew 18 tells us how to conduct church discipline. Paul breaks it down throughout his epistles to the church and how to deal with them. And it tells us faithful are the wounds of, the free, of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of those who are enemies. Listen, right motivation means that we want what is best. True sounds like, hey, listen, evil divides, evil destroys, evil causes death. That's what sin does. And if we really love somebody, do we want them to hurt? Do we want destruction in their life? Do we... Listen, if you've ever wished death on somebody, you need to run to the altar right now. I mean right now. I've had presidents, I've had politicians, I've had people I've known that I despise what they stood for. But I can promise you I've never wished death on anybody. Maybe a kidney stone or something, I don't know. Our hearts should be restoration. We want to see them restored, or we, we need to see them brought to a reconciliation where they are joined with Christ. But the people here, I was telling about those four groups, Jesus, the apostles, the man possessed with Satan, and then everybody else around him, the crowd. We live in a crowd, don't we? We live in a crowd. I've been to three football games this year. And I love going to them, but I hate fighting the traffic. I hate fighting the crowd. I hate fighting the crowd. Be a Georgia Tech fan, you don't have to worry about near as big a crowd. <laughs> See, I can be self-deprecating. But I still, I mean, you know, I'm getting like my daddy. I used to say, Dad, let's go to the races. Dad, I ain't watch that better on TV. I can sit, you know what, I am my dad now. I mean, because now I go, I go to a football game, and there's a, close, there's a close call. I'm like, show the replay, show the replay. We want to see it. Oh, yeah, it's a high school game. They don't have replay. We need to understand that sin is a divider. Sin divides families. Sin divides churches. It destroys relationships, and ultimately it brings death on people. So what do you want? Do you want reconciliation? Do you want restoration? Or do you want death and destruction? If you want that which is right, then you will tell them what is the truth. And you'll do it in love. See, the person, not just the problem. We've said it all the time. Don't personalize sin. Don't personalize sin. The person that I did not vote for needs Jesus. Don't personalize the sin. Yes, that person is following the path of destruction, but you know what? So was Legion. So was Saul. Am I right? And we can think of many, many others throughout Scripture. I want to ask you something. Were you lost before you got saved? Have we not? Have we forgotten that? That we were as lost as anyone has ever been. 
And except for the love of Jesus Christ, we would not have been reconciled. Have you ever, being saved, been out of fellowship with the Lord? Problems in your marriage, problems out, just you. And then you, you target everybody because they're an easy target around you, your family. But the truth is, you're the problem. Confront it. Deal with it. Embrace the potential of what God can do. Listen, this one guy, all they can see is he is crazy. And he was. He's a maniac. We don't want him in town. Listen, we'll just leave him up there. We've tried to chain him up. We've tried to, to, to just buckle him down, and he keeps breaking it. And so we just leave him up there in the graveyard. We won't have to deal with him. Does that sound like us? It's a little out of sight, out of mind. I, I don't know about you, but I am ready. I am ready to watch a TV program without 17 candidate commercials before the show gets started. I'm ready for that to be over. But not enough to say it don't matter what happens, it's just going to happen. Listen, we ought to be praying, we ought to be working, we ought to be sharing, we ought to be loving people in truth and embrace the potential of what God can do if we stand. You know why things have changed a little bit? It's because that sleeping giant, which is the church, where we've become so holy in building bigger buildings and, and doing our own thing and having great, we've realized that in being quiet, we've allowed Satan to expand his borders. And many a believer has stood up. There's now a group of so-called evangelicals who are standing for liberal things and sinful things, I believe, just so they can say they're different. But you can't be evangelical. You can't want life in someone if the doctrine of your heart causes death. You're either all in with Jesus or you're not in. He is a jealous God. Right motivation. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Now the next slide. We not only must show compassion in conflict, but willing to confront the culture. First of all, the politics of the day. What were the politics of the day? The politics was literally the, the unit of belief of that area. And what was their, what was their politics? Tolerance. Hey, we won't bother him, he don't bother us. Well, hey, let's, let's draw our little circle. Now, this was a group of about 10 individual cities. So if you can imagine, it was like a big county. And before you can minister there, you got to go there. Now, listen, church, Lottie Moon is coming up. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions through the Southern Baptist Convention the single greatest opportunity to share the gospel around the globe. And I want you to give. I pray that we give sacrificially as we have in the past years. But you know what? It does not take the place of going on mission yourself. Now, I'm not telling you you've got to go to Haiti or you've got to go to Uganda. I'm not saying you've got to go, but listen, you've got to go on mission every day of your life. You can't just give some money and think you did God a favor. It's giving not just of our talents, giving of our time, but giving of our time. Of being on mission to share the word. Listen, we cannot live afraid. It says here, look, he said they were afraid. They were afraid of what was going on. They were afraid of what may happen, that Jesus was going to blow everything out. They were pressured by power. Understand, what we tolerate, we promote. I've heard it say this past week, the failure to vote is to vote for the wrong candidate. I want to ask you one question about this election coming up Tuesday. You're a registered voter. You hadn't, you hadn't voted in however long, and you've become disenfranchised by the politics of today. You got tired of listening to it. 
So you're just not going to do anything? You say, one vote isn't going to change anything. I'm going to ask you one question. What if it was down to one vote and you didn't vote? What, there have been elections that came down to one vote. It is your civic duty, but it is your biblical duty. God has given us the greatest opportunity. We get a vote. Do you know that roughly 90% of the civilized world don't get a vote? They get no votes. When I was in Haiti last year, we were talking about the different governments and why. Listen, any of you ever been to the Caribbean, anywhere in the Caribbean? Raise your hand. Neil, where would you go in the Caribbean? All right, in, in the Bahamas, where'd you go? Paradise Island. Paradise Island. Anybody? Where, Rita? St. Thomas. Where you been? Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica. I've been to Puerto Rico. Um, been to Bahamas. Kind of like the Caribbean on the Yucatan. Been in Belize and Cancun and stuff. And then we went to Haiti. I want to tell you the honest truth. Haiti was the most beautiful out of all of them. Out of all of them. As long as you knew where to look. As long as you looked out at the water. Or you looked at the banana plants and the sugar cane farms. But the minute you turned around, it was the filthiest, most vile place I've ever been in my life. You know why? Politics. We, we stood there and talked with uh, Conception. And he was close to my age. And he went back through and he talked about Papa Doc, uh, the president. He talked about other ones along the way. And how they had brought in such sinful practices. And you know, that is, that is the heart of voodoo. And they had allowed so much of that stuff that it had wrecked the country. I'm telling you today. American Christians. We must confront the culture in the politics of it because the world can't stop evil. You, they say you can't legislate morality. No, but there should be a level up because there is an instinct understanding of morals in all of us because we were born in created in the image of God. I, I use this as an example all the time. We know we do not have to have a law. And I would venture to say there's not a law in the books anywhere in the United States of America that says that thou shalt not throw a two-year-old off of a 12-story building. I would venture to say that there's no law anywhere in America that says it is against the law to push any woman over the age of 77 in front of a moving bus. You know why we don't have a law for that? Because we know. We know it's wrong. Listen, we know it's wrong to murder. But you know, even in today, they say, oh, come on. Because we live in a day of pluralism. We live in a day where people says it's all about uh, truth being subjective. And it's up to the situation that you live in. And so morality is based on our society and it's based on our culture. No! It's based on the Word of God. And the world cannot stop evil. We must stop with the whole idea of tolerance. Call evil evil. Would it make your child be okay if they put their hand on an open stove if you just tell them it's not really hot and it's just a figment of their imagination they will be burnt nonetheless you can deny hell from here to the cows come home the world can do it but hell is real and so is heaven we must tell them it doesn't matter about popularity look in verse 14 he says, 
And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus, and they see him. Now, he had already cast out the demons into the swine. They had run down into the water, and they had all died. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. Listen, and he had, he had had the legion sitting now, and he was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him. Telling Jesus, please, just leave us alone. Depart from our, co our coast. Listen, popularity can be very intimidating. If you don't do what I do and what we do, then you don't have any part with us. There are people who die in fraternity and sorority houses every year. There's people who run with a crowd that end up not seeing tomorrow because of the pressure of wanting to fit in. I need to remind you, standing with Jesus, you're in the majority. And that's what matters. The older you get, the more you'll begin to realize, for a while anyway, popularity doesn't mean anything and it sure won't feed your family, will it? Huh? You can join all the clubs and all the organizations in the world, but when things get tough, who's there for you? Y'all ever watch any of them shows like I like to watch or the police shows like 48 Hours, the real true stories where someone's been killed and they investigate the first 48? I want to remind you of something. You know who always turns and turns them in? The people who was closest to them that they thought would never turn them in. The most loyal group ever known in America is the Mafia. and They had this thing called La Cosa Nostra where you just, you'd swear on your life that you'd be loyal, you know, blood in, blood out, all that kind of stuff. But the greatest godfather of our day, John Gotti, the Teflon Don, who had faced the trials over and over and over and beat the government over and over and over, finally was brought down by his closest, not only ally, but his own bodyguard. Sammy the Bull became known as Sammy the Rat. Henry Hill brought down more mobsters than anyone else, and he was a made man. We need to understand the world does not care, but Jesus does. The world can be loud, obnoxious, constant, oh, what is going on here? What is happening here? But we need to understand that oftentimes confronting the culture means to, do, means to deal with our own detriment of profit and desire. It means you give up things. Man, I wanted to go to this, I wanted to go to that, and this was planned on this week, but you know we got high attendance day. Yeah, but it's church. We've now developed into a country because we're free, we plan missing church around our, our vacations around missing church rather than around missing work. I don't know about you, I'd rather be at church than be at work. I think we miss something when we stop giving out the pens for Sunday school attendance. I used to love, man, they look like four-star generals to me. Philip, did you ever have pens? I still got mine. Still got them somewhere. And I was so proud when I, because they started getting so long, they start giving you like decade pens. And I had like my 30-year pen and on up. And I went to one in my last church. I went to the Sunday school director and I said, I need you to order something for me. They said, okay. I said, I need a Sunday school pen. They said, what, one of them big buttons says I love Sunday school? I said, no, no, the, the ones where, you know, you attach and it's got the thing and it, you know, Southern Baptist Sunday school and, and you, get a, you get this little thing and you attach it and it's just a, 
it's like an award. It's a medal recognizing people who've been faithful, not miss Sunday. Well, I ain't never seen nothing like that. Does studying God's word mean anything to us anymore? Are we more worried about the prophets and the desire? Look, the world can't do what Jesus can. Can I have an amen right there? The world cannot do for you what Jesus can. Power, prestige, pleasure, Jesus is a threat to it all. Because, listen, Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But I don't even have a place to lay my head. Jesus told his apostles, he said, listen, don't pack a suitcase. You just grab you a coat and a cloak and we'll be all right. My, my favorite miracle Jesus did, it, it just blows me away. I love it. I just love it. And, and it reminds me because God has done it in my life. Do you remember, you know, we all like to talk about the feeding of 5,000. That's pretty cool. Raising dead people is pretty awesome. Would you all agree with that? But where we live every day of our lives, paying taxes, figuring out what we're going to do about insurance. The insurance that we have right now, they're not even going to carry in Georgia anymore after this year. So we're back to the exchange. I'm self-employed. I don't go through an employee. Well, the Southern Baptist is because we are who we are. Every church of the 45,000 are autonomous, so we can't get a group rate. So every pastor has to find his own insurance. And so we have to balance it. If you're self-employed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, so we have to get insurance. We have to pay taxes. We're worrying about how we're going to pay for college and how we're going to pay for insurance and how we're going to deal with retirement. I've even gotten to that point now, Kibo. I'm like, Emily asked me this weekend, are you having a midlife crisis? I said, no, buddy. She said, you sure? I said, I passed midlife about 15 years ago. I said, you understand if I'm at midlife, I'm going to be 108. She said, you don't believe God can do something with you at 108? I said, yeah, I absolutely do, but there's very few that he does it with. So my favorite miracle is when they need to pay their taxes. Jesus had already told them, don't pack your pockets. Don't ask for money. You know, don't do all that stuff. I'll provide. God ever told you that? Do you remember how he did it? Steve Smith, this is, if there's no other reason to fish, this is it. He said, go down there to the water and reach down. Not only are you going to catch a fish, but your taxes are going to be paid out of the mouth of a fish. And they caught the fish. It must have probably been about a seven-pounder. You know, you can get your old hand in. Opened it, and there was a coin to pay their taxes. How many of you believe that's true? It's in the Bible. Bless God, it's just as true as Jonah and the whale. It's just as real as splitting the Red Sea. It's just as real as Jesus' resurrection. Jesus paid their taxes with a coin out of a fish's mouth. God can do whatever. Listen, stop worrying about the prophet and the desire of this world. If you have never met, listen, Adrian Rogers, in dealing with this whole idea of confronting the culture, Adrian Rogers I mean, he was the prince. I mean, he said, if you have never met the devil head on, it's probably because y'all are headed in the same direction. I have a whole lot more courage in quoting him saying it than me saying it. Leonard Ravenhill said that when the seven sons of Sceva cast out tried to cast out the demons out of the man. The demon says, Jesus, and he, he, they did it this way. They said, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, we cast you out. And the demon says, I know Jesus and I know Paul. They're a threat to us. We don't have a clue who y'all are. And the demon jumped out. And his whole, the whole chapter of that book 
Why revival tarries? If you're looking for a good spiritual book to read, now be ready because it will chap you and it will convict you. But that chapter, known in hell, he said the problem is the majority of the church are no threat to hell. They're no threat. They're not doing anything to upset Satan's apple cart. So Satan doesn't spend any time. He don't even know us. Legion knew Jesus. Not only did he know him by name, he came and worshipped him. Fell down at his feet. The world can't do what Jesus can. Tolerance, Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. You have convictions, finally. Look at the end. Now Jesus has came and came to the other side. Are we willing to go whatever side God wants us to get out of our comfort zone, to be willing with compassion to tell the truth in love, to face the world of conflict with compassion, to confront the culture and all the politics of the day, the popularity and profitability that going along with the world has? And are we willing to accept the commission to go and tell? Do you understand when Jesus authored Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and he spoke those words, Go ye into all nations. It was not the great consideration. Where, well, I'll think about it. Wasn't the great consternation where we wrung our hands and worried about it. It was the great commission. Listen, men and women who have served in the military, when you were sworn in, what would happen if you decided one day, you know what? I ain't feeling it. And you just walked off. Said, they're not going to miss me. What would happen? You're going you to end up in the brig. You're going to end up in Leavenworth. You're going to end up in some bad situation before long then why do we believe the one who saved us, we can just do whatever we want. We call him Lord. He's commissioned us to go and tell. And so he says in verse 18 and 19, And when he had come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Yet Jesus suffered him not and said unto him, Go home. Go to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and have compassion on you. Listen, we need to remember when we look at this story, we were legion. And Jesus came to the other side. We were the unclean just as those we face every day. Jesus saved us. We did not save ourselves. We do not keep ourselves. It is the power of Jesus. And in remembering that, we're to tell everybody. He said, go home. We need to tell our family. He said, go to your friends. We need to tell those around us. We need to, he said, he went into Decapolis, that around the area, and told the world. Ten cities. He went everywhere saying, listen, y'all remember that crazy guy everybody was afraid of? That's me. Jesus saved me. Serving is not for wimps. It is time that we're willing to make a stand by getting on our knees, saying, God, not someone else, not for another time, but for me today. Lord, I surrender to you for salvation. Lord, that you save me. I'm unclean. Lord, I, I've allowed Satan to continue to block my mind to think I'm okay, think baptism's okay, think good works is okay. Lord, I need you. I confess I'm a sinner without hope. I'm saved, but Lord, there's, there's issues in my life. I've not been surrendered to your call in my life. Lord, I need you today. You know you are. You know what problems you're facing. It will not change on your own. You can't have enough willpower to change it, but God can if you'll surrender your will to his. As they come to the instruments, I want you to stand. Time is of the essence. Right now, God is calling you to an altar of repentance. You need Jesus right now. The world is dying and going to hell around us. If Tuesday makes you nervous, Election Day makes you nervous, won't you come pray about it? Huh?
God can do whatever. If he can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000, he can make sure that the ballot boxes go the right way. Huh? Why don't we come give it to Jesus? As they play and sing without hesitation, come, come. Stop being afraid. Trust Jesus for your family. Trust Jesus for your friends.